Hi, welcome back to the Spike Bar podcast and this is the first of our interview podcasts. With the uh, regular season really coming to a bit of a halt over the festive period, I really wanted to start getting out uh, the interviews that I've been doing over the last uh, few weeks and uh, it seemed fitting um, with the festive period to start with a guy called Jimmy James. Um, Jimmy came on my radar uh, about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago when I first decided to start the podcast um, and a really sort of an inspirational story. Uh, J- Jimmy is a, a normal everyday guy um, who effectively uh, retired uh, almost 18 months ago and kind of upon retirement really wanted to set himself a goal so he set himself the target of playing the top 100 courses on the golf digest list in the states Um, but not only playing the top 100 but playing it in one calendar year Um, a feat that hadn't been done before and actually getting onto those courses as you'll hear in the in the podcast is no mean feat I think very few people have managed to do that and those that have either have inordinate amounts of money um, or are very sort of prevalent in the golf course review uh, environment so just a really refreshing story of you know somebody with an aspirational goal um, loving golf and managing to uh, to go go and achieve that so we kind of talk about how that happened Um, really interesting guy just super humble I was very grateful for his time Uh, the podcast runs for just over an hour but I urge you to kind of stick with it because uh, just some really interesting tidbits that come out and if you've got this type of goal yourself there's certainly some some nuggets that Jimmy drops along the way that you should uh, you should listen out for to I suppose some begin your quest should that be something you're interested to but without further ado let's get into the interview and i hope you enjoy so i'd like to uh welcome jimmy onto the spike bar podcast um just a brief intro into jimmy so uh, when i set up my twitter feed a couple of weeks ago and decided to do a podcast uh, one of the first tweets i saw on my feed was the story of jimmy james playing the top 100 courses on the golf digest in the states and uh, it was a kind of a perfectly aspirational story that I wanted to really share with a wider audience and Jimmy reached out to me directly said he would be keen to share his story so I jumped on the opportunity and so welcome Jimmy to the Spike Bob podcast thank you for uh, for coming along uh, thank you Ben very much for inviting me to come on and share my story today brilliant well, look, I suppose we should we should kind of start off just why don't you tell us a little bit um, about yourself, Jimmy, and kind of your background and how you got into golf. And then uh, we'll we'll talk to the uh, the listeners a little bit more about your uh, specific story about the top 100. But just give us a bit of background to you. The best way I guess I would summarize it is I was um, born into poverty in sort of the piney woods or backwoods of uh, East Texas, uh, uh, probably as far away from golf as one could uh, as one could imagine. But I went on to get an education, become the first person in my family to graduate from high school and go off to college. When I was, uh, I started my career and during a move, from um, the Washington DC area to Texas, to, which was really a move back to Texas, the vice president of my organization said, Jimmy, you're going back to Texas. You're, 
you're going to have to start shooting something. So I don't care what it is you shoot. You can shoot animals or you can shoot par, but you need to start shooting something. My, uh, my wife went out the next day and purchased a set of golf clubs. Very good. Uh, a set of golf clubs for me. I guess when we were kids, I used to, uh, we used to shoot stuff to eat. But uh, beyond that, I guess I don't, I don't have much use for, uh, the, for, for shooting animals anymore. So I chose golf. And it had been something that I'd been interested in for a long time, but it just seemed so difficult to play. I'd actually played before that, uh, attempted to play before that a couple of times in company outings. Yeah. Uh, but I was so bad at it that they, uh, they used my mulligans or they advised me to use my mulligans for putting because using them to take another swing would have been a waste. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I guess in a, in a sense, I've come a long way from my humble beginnings and a long way from uh, my inability to strike a golf ball. Yeah, it, golf is one of those games where unfortunately, I think, well, very few, very few people can just pick up, pick up some sticks and be good at it straight away. So uh, a, bit, a bit cruel of your, uh, your colleagues to take you on business trip straight away, expecting you to... Um, to maybe be able to add add to the game immediately, but I, I like that mulligan mulligans on putting. I should, uh, yeah, I might have to incorporate that. <laughs> might have to incorporate that. That's that's the worst part of my game. So, <laughs> well, at the time, it was the best part of my game because it was the only part of my game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, where, where did you um, where did you first start playing? There was it, was it in Virginia? Was it back in Texas when uh, it, when, it, when you? It, it was in Texas. I, okay. I started playing at a park, a municipal park, okay. that was really more of just a flat cow field. Um, I could hit the ball a long way because it traveled, the ground was so hard that once the ball hit, it, it would roll uh, 100 yards. But I started to play uh, there in Texas at Terrell Park, which is also where... I think Bruce Litke got his start, a uh, professional uh, golfer yeah. that passed away this past year. Um, he, uh, uh, this park, Carroll Park, it was pretty cheap. Uh, I could go out after work and um, go out and, and play. My, my family was still in Virginia, so I had, when I wasn't occupied with work, I was occupied with golf. And with that start, I, I fell in love with the game. Yeah, just the challenge, the challenge of it, and the, the battle against yourself. Yeah, uh, both mentally and physically, was um, was alluring to me. Yeah, well, I think that's probably what gets most of us right. Is that kind of that aspirational quality of trying to better yourself and. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a game, as you say, you, we can be social, you can play with friends, or you can kind of be single-minded and want to try and get better and better. And you, It's a game we're never going to perfect, but we can have fun trying to. Trying to. And, and that, that aspect of it too, Ben, is, um, I've not talked about this before, but when I think about the days at Terrell Park, um, I was brought together there with a work colleague who he and I probably never would have interacted had it not been for golf. Yeah. 
and we are very good friends uh, to this day. I was a, a management guy. He was an up through the ranks a guy, a guy that started as a field employee and worked his uh, worked his way up to one of the lower level types of uh, of professional jobs within the company. And our paths would not normally have crossed, but they crossed on the tee box of the eighth hole at um, at Terrell Park. Yeah. And he became my golf teacher. One of the first things he, he, he taught me was, uh, he said, Jimmy, no one will ever really care about how well you do or don't play. What they will care about is how fast you play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, if you play fast, you anybody will play with you. Yeah. And so I learned to play the game pretty fast and that's part of uh, one of my trademarks today people will tell you that yeah I uh, I play fast but that's one of the things that uh, Dennis was was his name that Dennis taught me very early on in playing golf that and how to hit a driver off the deck and to this <laughs> day I use that shot so many times well I mean those are those are two redeeming qualities for uh, the ideal golfing partner you know, somebody who's not not afraid to um to go with a driver off the deck is welcome in pretty much any uh, any four ball, and yeah, p- playing fast is yeah that's that's essential I think in uh, in modern society, modern golfing society for sure. Yeah, like you um, have you have a couple you mentioned now with uh, you said a seven year old. I do. Yes, I have a seven year old. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, spending five and six hours out on the golf course with a. Seven-year-old become it, it can be uh, a, be very problematic. So I learned yeah. to play golf when my kids were young, and I needed to uh, when I was when I was home. If there was an opportunity to to play, I needed to get out and play and get back quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Five or five or six hours. No, that's not just going to doesn't cut it. Although I, I will caveat my. Uh, my seven-year-old is getting interested in golf, and she enjoys the cart ride. So actually, I think my wife's quite pleased because I can now, um, where, where required, bring her along and hire a buggy or a cart for uh, for a round, and she's quite happy there, just being in the cart, messing around there. So uh, yeah, I think all. that's why my wife doesn't play golf today. We lived in in Virginia. We lived in a golf neighborhood, uh, and the kids and I would go out and uh, play. They love driving the cart, uh, raking the bunker, holding the flag. Yeah. They love those aspects of just being out there together. And my 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 wife, I talked to her about playing. She says, uh, help me explain this. You're gone, the kid's gone. Why would I want to learn how to be out there with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smart, smart lady. <laughs> My, mine's the same. I keep trying to convince my wife to play, but um, I'm still I'm still some way off. I'm still some way off. She enjoys her her downtime, and yeah, I enjoy mine as well. I find it a bit of um, a bit of peace for the mind playing on the golf course. Um, uh, so I uh, look. Let, let, let's bring it round to kind of this this kind of 
amazing achievement that you managed to do um, which was so so for those who perhaps aren't aware Jimmy set a task of playing the top 100 golf courses on Golf Digest in the US inside a year there's a little caveats but we'll come to them but inside a year now um, some of the listeners maybe from the UK playing in the States is different to playing in the UK in the UK you can pretty much play any golf course there are maybe half a dozen where you might need to know a member and get in that way but but in the states it's the inverse particularly at the top of the game is that is that fair to say jimmy that it's it's quite exclusive in that top 100 it's not a case of um getting your credit card out and being able to play yes you've characterized very well the contrast between access in the uk and access in the um in, in in the us in the uk i've walked on to private courses and play as an American. Um, if a Brit were to show up at uh, Augusta National, Cyprus, Oakmont, any of the top clubs here, and ask when are your non-member days, uh, they'd be turned away. Uh, yeah. But so it is a challenge. That's the big part of the challenge, is to be able to meet members that are willing to invite you out to play, which was a part of the challenge for me. It wasn't just the idea of playing uh, the courses, which I dreamed of doing, but it was also, can I network enough within a year to meet enough people that will allow me to have access to the 100 greatest courses in the country? Yeah. So, so how did it how did it get started then how, how did you kind of come to this idea because i think I, I mean everybody i know i personally have this a very similar aspiration okay from a uk point of view and, and eventually a us perspective i would love to have done what you've done but how, how did you kind of have that oh yeah i'd like to do it to then actually begin realizing that dream how, was that a kind of a long a long-term project that you had in mind or was it just you know it's okay What's interesting, Ben, is part of the roots actually be- began at the home of golf. When okay. I was first, uh, my first few years in the game, uh, and again, this speaks to sort of my passion for golf. Uh, once I got into golf, I got into golf. I wanted to play at St. Andrews. A friend was living in the UK, down in the, the southern part of, uh, of England, um, near the New Forest. Okay. He and I decided to meet up and go play St. Andrews. A week before, uh, actually a couple of days before the trip, he had a work, um, a work incident that required his attention and prevented him from being able to join me. My wife said, you should still go. So I flew, I flew over uh, to, uh, I flew over to Edinburgh yeah. made the drive up to St. Andrews and I put in put my name in the lottery. Yeah. I did not get selected, but a person said, you know, if you're here by yourself, you won't have any trouble getting on. No. Just show up at the starter tomorrow morning. Yeah. And he'll definitely be able to get you out. I showed yep. up the next morning, he paired me with three guys that were locals and Brilliant. they belonged to I think they're two clubs along the 18th Fairway, the okay. St. Andrews Club and the old St. Andrews Club. Yeah, yeah. They were members there, and we played a match. So I was there in England, where I in, in Scotland, where I knew no one. 
Yeah. And I meet these three great guys that I play with who then invite me to their clubs to show me to have lunch and then give me a tour. It was just a fantastic experience. Yeah. And so I always thought about that and remembered that and said when I retire, I'm just going to travel around and play golf a bit. Yeah. My original plan was I was going to travel to all 50 states. So they would join two of my passions, travel and golf. I was yeah. going to travel to all 50 states and play two rounds of golf in each state. So 100 rounds of golf. At Christmas, five months before I retired, one of the gifts my wife gave me was a book by a guy who had played the top 100 courses in the world. It took him... Yep. A number of years to do it yeah but I was intrigued by that and I said if I'm gonna play a hundred courses in the US why not just play the best and I, I need to do it in a, I need to do it in a year uh, because I got to get back to life I, yeah. I can't spend <laughs> decades doing this yeah. I've got a family I've got kids that are about yeah. to go off to college um, so I got to, I, I need to do it in a year. Yeah. And that's how, uh, that's how it started at the, at the time. Uh, so it was five months before I retired. Okay. I, there were a couple of courses that, uh, I thought I could get access to, uh, that turned out the list from golf digest came out in like January, February. I looked at the list. There were, there were 87 private courses, 12 resort courses, and one uh, what we would call here in the U.S. municipal course, and that's Beth Page uh, Beth, yep. the, uh, uh, in New York, the black course. Yep. Um, I actually at that point had already been invited to play Augusta National. So my playing of Augusta National really, my access to Augusta National came before I even had the idea of playing the top 100 courses, but knowing that I already had Augusta National checked off certainly made it appear to be a lot more doable to within one year meet members of other clubs and uh, and and play all 100. So my strategy, as I thought through it and reflecting back on my experience there at uh, at uh, St Andrews at the old course at St Andrews. And, and experience experiences that I would have at the um, ocean course at Kiowa in Kiowa Island in South Carolina. Yep. I would uh, we have a home there. I would go out and play um, when we were there and get paired up with uh, with with strangers. And some at some point in almost every round, they would invite me to come to their course and play with them if I were ever in the area. Yeah. They'd give me their information, contact me if you're in the area and let's play together. Yeah, I, I'd love to have you at my course. So the idea that if I played resort courses as a single, I could get paired with people who may be members or no members of uh, top 100 courses and get invitations. So that was my strategy. There were, there were about uh, 12 of the private courses that I thought I already had a way to get on to um, and then the 13 public courses so I had 25 and of those 12 
some of those were clubs that my 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 home course could contact and get me access to. So I started with about 25 clubs and a strategy. Yep. yep. I then played Augusta National um, in the May in May about a month before I retired. Um, I didn't have planned time to plan out, really plan out the year. I was too busy working. I, I, I mentioned to folks that to give you an idea of how busy I was, my last day of work, I was still in the office at 7.30. I left about 7.30 that night on my final day of work. That's just how busy wow. uh, I was leading up to my retirement. That, that so that's no, how no, I got started. No, 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 no easy soft, soft exit, Jimmy. They, they, they worked you hard to the bone right to the end by the sounds of No, they, they, they weren't decreasing my pay as I got no. closer and closer. <laughs> so they expected the same amount of, uh, of, of, as long as they continued to pay me the same amount, I think they expected the same amount of dedication and effort. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, fair enough. And so obviously, I suppose having that, um, I think if you probably look at the top 100, probably the most exclusive... Uh, and, and most well known is Augusta National, probably the most challenging to get in. So having that sort of in your back pocket before you got started must have been a great kind of, I suppose, starting point to try and get you into other clubs. Did, did you kind of leverage that that experience and that exposure at Augusta National to, to maybe prize open other doors elsewhere? I did, Ben. Um, where I think it came into, uh, came handy, came in handy also was that there were, Two questions that almost every time I talked about this that people would ask. And those two questions were, uh, are you married? So how do you have the time <laughs> to do this? Your wife is actually letting you do this. And I could always yep. say, not only is she letting me, she's quite supportive. She's helping me. I couldn't do it without her help. Uh, the other question that would be asked almost every time is, how are you going to get on to Augusta National? And it yep. was great to be able to say each time, to be able to say, I've already played Augusta National. I played it first. Yep. That, that gave, I think, credibility to what I was doing. And people were more willing to help. Um, as a matter of fact, when I talked about it, and people asked that question, and, and I provided the answer that the, the, um, their ref reflex response was to think about how they could help. Immediately, they'd start thinking about people they yeah, knew yeah. and clubs they were associated with and who they could contact. And that's how it, it just built from there. Yeah. Well, it, it, it sort of speaks to that, um, that quality that we have in the golfing community, isn't it? Once you know people are skeptical when you have a a really high goal when it comes to golf and then once you've achieved sort of one one piece of it and then all of a sudden it's a case of well actually if, if he's done that then there's no reason why he can't do everything else so they kind of want you want to see you be successful so i can i can understand that um uh, you know you, you you that would have helped open doors and then obviously people would have wanted to help you achieve you know getting in wherever wherever they could help you get into I, I, I believed, Ben, that people would want to help yeah. because people, I think, they, 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 they love stories of overcoming adversity. They love to be a part Absolutely. of that. But 
in golf, people love to share their clubs. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. proud of them. But at the same time, they have to be careful. And I was mindful of this. You know, people spend their lives building a reputation. And all it takes is just one jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, to sort of tear that down. So I was always mindful of that and recognized that anytime I was at a club, whether I was with the member being hosted or being sponsored by that member, that I was a guest yep. and that I had to respect the sanctity of their club and be gracious and grateful for just having the opportunity. Yep. And that's the way I tried, I really tried to, uh, to conduct myself. But I would, I would say my experience is that people are more inclined to help. They just have to be cautious sometimes, but they are more, they want to help and are more inclined to help and are more often than not probably looking for a reason that they should rather yeah. than a reason why they shouldn't. Why they shouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so you've, you've secured the, I suppose the golden egg in Augusta National, you've, you've got your sort of strategy of 25 clubs you, you're pretty confident you can get access to. How did it begin? Did, did, I know you sort of mentioned that, that you didn't have a specific sort of travel itinerary. Did you just kind of go, well, I'm going to start here? What was the first course you played? And, and just sort of talk to me through the kind of the first couple of months and how, how you got started. So I, I, I talked about the strategy of the resort courses, and I yep. alluded to the leveraging my home club. Yep. I actually had a couple of home clubs. I was still a member. We were living in Atlanta at the time, so that also obviously made it easier for Augusta. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but I retained my membership at our club in uh, in Virginia, and then the club in Atlanta. So the second part of my strategy really was to leverage my home clubs to gain access to some clubs that I could also leverage to, to meet people who could, uh, who could help and uh, introduce me to other people. So that was my start. I contacted the head pro at my club in Virginia and, because I knew he knew the uh, head pro at Kenlock. Okay. And right, right outside of Richmond, Virginia. So that was my first club after, uh, after Augusta National was Kenlock in Virginia, and I leveraged my home, my uh, uh, one of my clubs, to to gain access. I also took the list into the pro shop at my club in Atlanta and talked to one of the assistant pros. He and I looked over the list. And he said, here's a couple I could help you with right off the bat. Brilliant. Those were Flint Hill National and Prairie Dune in Kansas. So those became my, so Kenlock was number two, Flint Hills was three, and Prairie Dunes was four. And with Flint Hills and Prairie Dunes, I gained access to a number of additional clubs. So right out of the bat, my strategy started to work. Perfect. At Flint, at at uh, Flint Hills, I uh, the president of the club invited me to join him for lunch. Uh, we talked. Uh, we talked over lunch. He um, introduced me to a lot of members, and he was well connected, or is is well connected yeah. in the golf community. Yeah. He 
he ended up helping introducing me to several people who hosted me at several of the clubs, uh, uh, including Jimmy Dunn, who ultimately hosted me at Shinnecock. So that yeah. uh, uh, immediately, uh, I gained access to several to, to, to several clubs. He was very kind. He said, "Why don't you send me the list of clubs, and I will let you know which ones I can help you with." And he took the time to put together a detailed email that said, "This club, I know this guy who's a friend that could help." Uh, he was just very kind and, 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 and generous and helpful right off the bat. The second was, um, the, the next day I went over and I played Prairie Dunes. While my club had gained access, a friend told me, oh, you didn't need to use your club. I have a friend that's a member there, and he's actually going to be out there that week. He'll host you, but he's going to be a day later. So you could play the first day and then play with him the second day. The first day while I was there playing, I struck up a conversation with a guy next to me on the driving range. It turned out that that guy, his uncle and I worked together at ExxonMobil. <laughs> <laughs> and so I explained to him what I was doing and he said, hold on a minute. And he went over, got a friend, brought the friend over, and he's, he introduced his friend, and he says, Mike, I want you to meet Jimmy. He's about to play the top 100 courses in the country in one year. And the friend goes, no way. You, hey, dude, you, got, you have a, uh, a staff or something coordinating it for, for you? <laughs> and the guy who I just met said, yeah, he does. It's you and me. We're yeah. going to help him. <laughs> and sure enough, they did. So those two days in Kansas, I probably gained access to ten clubs or so. Wow. Uh, okay, so, so so that's so, how it that's how it started. Yeah. So no, no, note to anybody out there, if you uh, if, if you want to do this task, you've got to get yourself out to Prairie Dunes in Kansas and start networking <laughs> around there. I think that's that's the future. I've written I've written down Prairie Dunes and I've circled it four times, Jimmy. That's, yeah. that, that's yes, the first yes, order yes, call. Yes, yes, Dorothy, get back to Kansas. Click your heels, your ruby yeah. red slippers, and get to Kansas. I always love great to... people. The fun. Yeah. What that does say, though, again, is it speaks to just how uh, kind and generous uh, and friendly and open the people in the game are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we, we we all. I think most people in the game of golf, or certainly most people like yourselves and uh, yourself and me, uh, you sort of fall in love with the game. You fall in love with everything about it, and so there's just a, a, an immediate kingship, isn't there? When uh, when you're out at these sorts of places and sharing the, and as you sort of touched on a couple of times, we just love sharing stories and um, doing aspirational things, and it's it's. Uh, it's. I've always found that. I mean, I've I've only really been playing five years, and and just the amount of friends from all walks of life that I've found, and the amount of people I've networked with. And like you, I played the old course, and I I, I didn't actually play with locals because I went up with some buddies. But I, I did get a caddy when I was out there, and this guy was so well connected um, that in fact I, I, I'm. 
you know, you're kind of inspiring me. I'm going to reach out to him because he, I know he's connected in the States in particular with a lot of the clubs that you, you managed to play this last year. And I, I think, you know, what? I, I, might, I might need to leverage him <laughs> to try and get some of these games because I think everybody wants to help each other. It's just, it's, a, it's fabulous. So a, a couple of things and before I, before I forget it, um, I probably should mention to you, while I'm sharing all this, I am also writing a book. Brilliant. Uh, and hopefully you'll have me back on again to... Uh, to promote the book absolutely and, um, while i'm giving away some of the secrets there's still a whole lot more that'll be contained in the book uh the uh the you were mentioning caddies ben that was a very important aspect of my journey too yeah. i had such a great time anywhere i could i took caddies and that yeah. also goes back to my caddy at saint andrews who was just a great guy who had caddied on the tour yeah. um and he st- he told great stories. He made yeah, the round yeah. fun. So I, I enjoyed, really enjoyed that trust that you build with your caddy and the relationship that you build. And three three caddies also got me on courses. Brilliant. One one caddy, this guy uh, David Enderby, when I was playing at Arcadia Bluffs uh, there in Michigan, in the northern part of Michigan. Uh, at the end of our round, David and I had a great time. He told me all these stories. He used to caddy for Bob May. He had a chance to play a practice round with, with uh, Anna Palmer, to, to also caddy in a, in a group that Jack Nicholas was in. It was, he just told some great stories. And he gave me my best, my best line that I heard during my entire uh, quest. He asked me, uh, hopefully this translates in the UK too. Uh, hopefully you guys know who Willie Nelson is, the uh, country music singer from, the, yeah, singer yeah, yeah, from yeah. Texas. So there was, there was uh, I think we were on like the 10th hole. It's a par five. The green slopes significantly from right to left. My putt was just, my approach shot was just short of the green. And uh, David, the, the, my caddy David, looked at me and said, I need you to hit a Willie Nelson. I thought for a second, tried to figure that out, and finally I just admitted I didn't know what it was. So I said, what in the heck is a Willie Nelson? He said, I need you to get as high as you can. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, that, that line I remember as sort of the best, uh, best description of a shot that you could have is a, a putt. Uh, where you have to put it way high on the on the green and let it uh, yeah. let it fall back down. Let it fall back. But but at the end of the round, David said, "It's been really great, Jimmy, um, making the loop with you. And had you not come out today, I probably wouldn't have had a loop. So you took care of me. I want to take care of you. Do you have um, access? Do you have a contact for Oakland Hill?" I said, "I I I, I have someone working on it." He said, "Don't worry about it. Uh, give me your number." I'll have someone from there call you tonight and I'll take care of it for you. That night Brilliant. I got a call from a guy who was the president of the club when they sponsored when they had the Ryder Cup there. Wow. He goes, Hey, my friend, my, my buddy David called me and he said I, he said, You're a nice guy and I need to take care of you. Yeah. So <laughs> when do you want to play? Let me know. You could bring a couple of buddies with you, I'll host you. And we'll play together. And he took care of it. 
Brilliant. That's that's the type of thing that happened along the way. And then uh, the caddy that I use regularly at my club, there were mem- there were guests playing one day, and he heard that they were from Boston, and he said, "Hey, the guy I caddy for here a lot is playing the top 100 courses, and he needs some contacts for a couple of courses in Boston. What clubs do you guys belong to?" And he told him, he says, "Those are the ones he needs. Yeah, <laughs> he needs two clubs, just like that." By my, my caddy and, and, and another caddy at my club in uh, Atlanta introduced me to the a friend who uh, grew up in Rochester and had a buddy that was a member that is a member at Oak Hills in Rochester and that friend hosted me there so those all came from 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 caddies and so in addition to just great guys that it's great to make a loop with they, they're also well connected yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the sort of secret secret power brokers, aren't they? The, the, the caddies in the states. I, I know I used them. Um, uh, I go to a conference every year in Vegas. Uh, try and every year I go, I try and play a different course out there. And um, certainly, the last two years, I've managed to get in there by virtue of one caddy relationship I made. I think maybe four years ago now, when I first went out. Um, so they are certainly a secret secret power broker. So great, great, you managed to uh, use all sorts of leverage there. <laughs> it, I mean, it, in, in terms of, so you kind of at this stage, you, your strategy's in place. You, you're making some great headway. Prairie Dunes has opened up a lot of doors. You're meeting caddies left, right, and center. What were the challenges that you had along the way? I mean, it seemed like things kind of nicely just seemed to trickle. Did you did you have any particular clubs that that you really were struggling to get to get into, or perhaps trying to uh, find a route into? Well, my this was solved at Prairie Dunes, but one of the courses that surprised me that was so hard for me to find a member, and maybe uh, on one hand it's because um, I wanted to play it early on as a part of my strategy to play resort courses. I had Whistling Straits, um, Black Wolf Run, the river course, up yep. at Kohler, those two at Kohler, and Aaron Hill. Um, that I was going to play all at one time. At the same time, I wanted to play Milwaukee Country Club since I'd be in that area. I wanted to knock all of those out at the same time. Yeah. So one of the clubs that I had tried to 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 make contacts to people that I knew in Milwaukee, people that I knew from Wisconsin, co- colleague work colleagues that I knew from Wisconsin, um, con- con- contacts at the University of Wisconsin. Most of them didn't even know that there was a country club, uh, a, a Milwaukee country club, okay. which is actually located just north of Milwaukee in River Hill. So it was very difficult, and the club is extremely strict on okay. uh, access. Very, very strict. You have to play with a member. So that one was very hard for me, but the guy that I met uh, at Prairie Dunes, had a friend whose brother is a member okay and he contacted him to uh, to, to and he agreed he agreed to host me the the interesting thing about Milwaukee Country Club also is that up until about a month ago and I've been finished with my quest since June and I've had so many people call and invite me to play at so many different clubs. Up until a month ago, 
I had yet to meet another person that could have hosted me at Milwaukee Country Club. Wow. And so that one was that one was a challenge, but it got solved early and I played it as my 30th course. So okay. I say early because it's in the top top half, but it was a it was a challenge. Yeah. The others that were challenges were mostly because of mistakes that I'd made and uh, in, in, in not planning well enough. <laughs> so Shinnecock Hill. Oh, yeah, of course. Host I, of the I, US I, Open I, this year. I, I, I knew the US Open was going to, uh, to be there. What I hadn't considered is that the club would uh, restrict the number of guests that their members could bring in the months leading up to uh, leading up to uh, the, the the open, and so you have you you golf really isn't in all places in the U.S. a 365 day type um, activity. There are yep. clubs that are open only for certain seasons. Yep. And so I I try to think through when I would play where to 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 match the seasons. And I had planned to play. Uh, Shinnecock in the courses in the Hamptons um, at the end near the end of my quest uh, because I, I I thought by then I would have met enough people to get all of them at one time yeah that was a mistake I, <laughs> because while I found again it fell into place where I found a member that could host me uh, and that was just sort of serendipitous. Uh, a friend at my club had been trying to get me to play with him. Uh, I hadn't had a chance because I'm traveling around the country playing all these other uh, uh, all these other courses. But we happened to run into each other at the end of a round that I had played at my club, and he convinced me to play nine holes with him. And right. he had a friend there. That friend was um, a friend of. A friend of my wife's, and <laughs> and knew a was a mentor of a Shinnecock member. That okay. that chance meeting led to that member at Shinnecock agreeing to host me as a favor to my wife's friend. Unfortunately, his brother-in-law passed away a week before we were. But it's unfortunate that brother, yeah. his brother-in-law passed away at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it happened to to occur a one week before we were supposed to play and the funeral was scheduled for that day oh, that we were man. supposed to play so he had to regrettably cancel at the last minute now i'm a, a month away from the u.s open and i don't have a host for shinnecock oh. that that uh that that was the one where i got the most concerned yeah um and because there was very little time left and, and there were the members by that time had either used or committed their their guest privileges. That's okay. where yeah. that's where uh, a previous introduction to Jimmy Dunn um, came in handy. And Jimmy Dunn, for your listeners that don't know him, um, it, Google him. He's he's just a fantastic guy. Uh, he has uh, an amazing uh, amazing story. When the World Trade Center was uh, uh, attacked, 
his firm, which had about 82 people, 66 of them were uh, were killed during that mm-hmm. attack. Yeah, the 16 uh, 16 or so remaining, and he led them. They they took care of the families of their fallen colleagues. Yeah. He brought the firm back. Uh, just continues to do great things, uh, and is well known throughout the golf community. Yeah, uh, it's just a, a salt of the earth type of guy. Amazing. He flew in from his college reunion the night before the last day that members could host guests, and hosted me. Brilliant. At uh, at Cinecock. and that 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 really helped saved. Uh, save my uh, my quest because yeah. it just doesn't have the same ring to say, "Hey, I played yeah. 99, <laughs> 99. Yeah, yeah. It just it just doesn't 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 quite work that way. No, but that no was, you, you might you might have got a pass. Yeah, you might have got a pass with Shinnecock with the U.S. Open, but yeah, as you say, it wouldn't have the same ring. Just getting yeah, that, it just getting and that I done. Had, and I was so uh, determined then because I felt that I had made a commitment to people, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. people who had helped me. Yeah, I felt. You know, I said I was going to play it in a year. I'm, by June 11th, I will play. Uh, this is in 2017. I said by June 11th of 2018, I will have played all 100 courses. So yeah. the other one that was a that was a um, that became a challenge, and that was because of timing, too, uh, was Quaker Ridge, and okay. I got I, again. I got lucky. And so, you know, I pause for a moment and tell people that the things required to be able to do this are certainly an understanding wife, if yep. you're married, <laughs> or a partner, yep. um, a, uh, the, of course, the financial resources, because it's not really cheap, no. um, connections, uh, and time. Yep. Even with all of those things, you still will need a bit of luck. Luck. Yeah. I, I, if I were to plan today, if I had planned it a year later, it would have been even more of a challenge and and almost impossible because three or four of the clubs are closed. Yeah, right. There's loads renovations. of renovations, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and uh, I barely got in Wade Hampton in North Carolina. They reopened after being closed for the for a year. One week before my quest, before my June 11th date. Wow. And But back on this other one, Quaker Ridge, uh, I was, this is how fate intervened. And this really gave me a lot of confidence, too, because I didn't have Shinnecock at the time, but I was, I, 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 I just believed that somehow it was going to work out after this incident happened near Quaker Ridge. I played uh, the, uh, the two courses. Uh, a combination of the two, composite of the two courses at Wingfoot. I knew that Quaker Ridge was close by, but I didn't realize just how close. After the round, um, my my caddy, who's from the UK, by the way, uh, she used to uh, caddy at St. Andrews, uh, Dawny Hines. Okay. Dawny, um, which I hope, you know, for caddies listening, that they see how much respect I have for caddies. I still remember her name. I still remember that she, yeah, that she good caddied at uh, yeah. St. Andrews. So, so Donnie and then the, 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 the assistant pro that I played with, Mike Bello, they, they suggested that 
rather than me driving out to, I was leaving there to go out to the Hamptons, rather than driving all the way across Long Island, that I should drive to Bridgeport, Connecticut, take the ferry from Bridgeport, Connecticut to Port Jefferson, and then make the hour-long drive from there, 45-minute drive from there to the Hamptons. Uh, they said it would be more relaxing. Okay. Uh, take the same total amount of time, but be a more relaxing way to get there. Yeah, yeah. That The route for that took me right by Quaker Ridge. As I'm driving down the street adjacent to Quaker Ridge, I, you know, I notice the club, and then I see this sort of ruckus in the street. There are like four guys um, and this guy in a truck that looks pretty angry. I pull over, observe for a moment. The, the, the angry guy gets back in the truck for a second. I head over to the guys and I just say, hey guys, this looks pretty bad and I'm, you know, it looks like something bad has happened, but do you believe in fate? I think that in every dark cloud there's a silver lining and I'd like to be your silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> I need help. Yeah. I need help playing that club right there. Uh, and I have someone that could host me, but they're out of the country and I need to get it done while I'm here this weekend. And so one of the guys says, well, these guys aren't members, so they can't help you. But tell you what, give me your number. I'll give you a call later this, this, this evening and see if, what I can do to help. Wow. So, so that evening, quick I get, thinking. So that evening, I get a call. And that guy who said that was Mario Guerrera, the head pro. I didn't know it wow. when I was there talking to him. <laughs> and Mario is a swell guy. Yeah. Uh, just a swell guy. He said, hey, tell me your story. I said, well, I was this poor kid, grew up in Texas, you know, got educated, and now I'm trying to play the, t the most prestigious clubs in the country. And uh, he, he tells me a little about his background and his family from, as refugees from Cuba, and, and he just says, you know, I really appreciate the, how, the way you presented yourself and how you approached us, and I want to help. So let Brilliant. me talk with, he said, we generally don't allow uh, unaccompanied play uh, in, in October on the weekend, but let me talk to the president of the club and the general manager and see if I can't get an exception for you uh, to be able to play with me that day. And he awesome. took care of it. Awesome. And that solved that, uh, that solved that problem. Again, that just speaks to the great people associated with this game. Yeah, yeah. That's um, it, isn't it? The, the, kind of the, the overriding theme coming through is everybody kind of wants you to succeed, which is awesome. It's just it's very cool. You treat people well, and you kind of share your story, and they just want to help. It's such a such a great, great, great achievement. You know, it. it uh, you know, we have a lot going on in America right now, yeah. and there's a there's um, oh, let's talk about tribalism and division, uh, and not that we don't have issues and things but as I traveled across the country and I'm not just talking about the people at the clubs where I played but the people I met along the way the the people uh, you know at the rental car places uh, the at the restaurants where 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 I ate at the gas station uh, the neighborhoods I drove through people are living there you know they're living their lives and mm. I I just my confidence and the goodness of people you know, there's, there is evil in the world, but I just think that there are, that that's the fringes. There are a yep. lot more good people than there are 
those that do, uh, do absolutely Ill. yeah absolutely and, it's just that it's a shame that a lot of the a lot of the ill ill is, is shouted out louder isn't yes. it a lot of the good people just kind of get on their get on with their day and and just happy to help and they don't need to sort of scream and shout about they don't it, isn't and it? they just do good things and they exactly do, yeah. they they just treat people with respect and dignity and and my confidence in just the generosity and kindness of humankind was just renewed as I traveled across the country uh, meeting people along the way. Brilliant. Awesome. Well, I'm aware we've talked a lot about logistics and kind of how you got it done. I'm also keen to kind of know about how did your game do over the over the year? That's an awful lot of golf you're going to be playing. How, what handicap did you start start out and did you did you get better as the year went on? Or did you did you have too much golf by the end of it? Well, by the end of it, I did have too much golf, but I did get better, and Good. my game was my game my the level of fatigue sort of controlled my my game. But I I got much better. I started with the USGA index of eleven point five. Okay, good. I got as low actually as like an eight point five. Yeah. Um, and then it started to go back up, but I ended with uh i ended just slightly under 10.0 so i I was like 9.8 or something when i when i ended what's interesting though ben is that my my index went down by by a couple of strokes but my average score went up and that's because the courses i was playing had a lot more difficult so my average score had been about an 85 yeah, uh, 80, 80, 85, 86, and it ended up average score over that period of around 88 or so. Yeah, it yeah. was, uh, but the game got the my game got better, and there were just some days um, where everything worked. Yep. And other days where nothing worked. <laughs> yeah. uh, Welcome to amateur golf. <laughs> but but I, I, I there there are a couple of just you know the the thing about golf that also attracts us is when we hit those those shots that we we visualize and we actually pull it off and that just keeps us coming back in search of those shots again a couple of shots that i that i that are just really memorable to me um when i was playing at bandon dune there are four courses at bandon dune pacific dune bandon dunes o mcdonald uh and bandon trails yeah. all four in top 100. yep I had the same caddy for all four courses. When I was playing, Brilliant. the third course I played of the four was Bandon Trails. On the 13th hole, I, my drive, I, I pushed to the right. It was in the trees. So I missed this whole big wide fairway. My caddy says, Thomas says to me, uh, Mr. James, uh, just chip back out to the fairway uh, and we'll get on in three and try to one putt. I said, Thomas, you see that little four by four hole up there in the trees? <laughs> now, don't forget, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if we mentioned, but I'm an engineer by background. So I said, Tom, okay. Thomas, you see that little four by four hole in the trees there? That's at the exact angle that a pitching wedge, that the ball would come off the face of a pitching wedge at. If I hit the ball through that, through that opening, it's gonna land 
just next to the flag, just a few feet away from the flag. So here's Thomas, all like five foot four of him, just barely taller than my golf bag. And he's looking up at me, and I, I know he's thinking it, but he, he didn't say it. <laughs> but he's saying, you just missed that big fairway out there, and now yeah, you're going to try to put a ball through that little opening up there? <laughs> so I, 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 I pulled my own club, <laughs> and I took my pitching wedge, and I kept my head down, took a smooth swing, and the ball went through the trees. I couldn't see. It went through the opening. Yeah. I couldn't exactly see where it landed, but I looked at Thomas and I said, that's going to be by the flag. Yeah. It was two, three feet to the left of the flag. Easy birdie. Nice. That's the type of stuff that keeps us coming back. And, 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 and I, won't, I won't bore your, 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 your listeners with, with a bunch of them, but there's one more where uh, we were talking about drivers before. At Medina, and I think it's like either the 12th or 13th hole, too, I, um, I hit, a, hit a ball in the woods to the right. Caddy says, uh, Rudy tells me to pitch out to the fairway because there was no trees be to the left of me between me and the fairway. But the green was ahead of me. And I could see an, uh, under the tree, this alley that could take me under the trees to the fairway, but I'd have to keep the ball low for 150 yards. Perfect shot for a low driver off the deck. <laughs> and so I hit it, and it stayed low, got to the fairway, curved to the right, and ran up toward the green. So it's, it's that, that, you know, I just... Um, that's that was, what that keeps was, us coming back. Yeah, that was that. That was your Terrell Park. Um, <laughs> yes, Terrell Park was, initiation. That, that was Terrell Park initiation. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, if you kind of reflect, reflecting back on the on the whole year and all the courses that you played, if you, I mean, there's obviously, and I, I will ask you about your top five in due course. But if I if I ask you, kind of, what's the most memorable? round that you had all year what was the kind of the 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 one when you think about your year that's the course you go back to straight away well it depends upon if you're talking about the actual uh golf part of it um it's hard to beat the 76 i shot at monterey peninsula from a uh, wow. the shores course at monterey peninsula is from a golf experience but the the as i said earlier it wasn't just about the golf. I mentioned earlier that Jimmy Dunn hosted me at Shinnecock. Yep. Um, the opportunity to spend several hours with such, um, just such an outstanding individual who I would call a true American hero. Yep. Uh, is, it really stands out. Uh, stands out to me. It's just the opportunity to spend time with him at Shinnecock. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the people. Yeah, exactly right. It's the the, the the we could talk about golf all day and yeah. the shots and the holes and 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 and, yeah. and hopefully, like you said, you'll ask me about the top courses and I'll tell you about them. But the real story for me 
and this goes back to just that that uh, uh, Friday morning uh, Friday morning at uh, the old course at St Andrews, just yes. meeting some guys, just regular guys, and spending four hours making a loop with them, and so the 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 time the people met along the way and their helpfulness and their graciousness their kindness um, their enthusiasm their belief in you know just things greater than ourselves those moments uh, uh, while those shots like the ones I talked about a second ago stand out those moments really stand out too yeah. with the people yeah totally totally get it totally get it okay so we. We, we've we've taken this long. Let, let's go through your, as we should say, top five. What are your top five courses that you you played over the year? Are they different to the ones in Golf Digest? Do you have to kind of different courses in there? Just they're, which, they're, which some of them are are the are in the top five at Golf yeah. Digest, but they're they're for me um, the there are different reasons. You know, a hundred courses, there are a hundred different experiences and a hundred different things to sort of think about. Uh, but for me. I put them, I'll, I'll go obviously in an order, but no certain order. Uh, Augusta National, because it's Augusta National. Yeah. yeah the experience sense. of driving up Magnolia Lane, playing the par three course, uh, just standing on the tee box of the first of the first hole, having a pimento cheese sandwich, playing, <laughs> playing a man corner. Uh, yeah. Just, it's Augusta National. Yeah. Is it is it as undulating? All of it, you don't really see it so much on the TV, but everyone who's ever been there just says about how crazily un, the, the undulations are. The television does not do it justice. It, it cannot no. do it justice. The 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 undulation, not uh, on the fairways, uh, is bad. But there the greens that yeah. the undulation on the greens is way more severe than okay. you can see on television. It, there, no. there, there, there are greens and pin placements where if you're out of position on that green, you cannot two putt from there. Your yeah. best bet is to two is to putt to some place that you can two putt from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was going to ask a really nasty question for for an amateur. Did you did you have any four putts? I did. Yeah, I <laughs> good, did. good man, good man. No, I every, did. I had, every every amateur I've heard who's played there has had at least one four putt. Oh no, I had more putts than I did full swings. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks that hard on TV. So yeah, the the challenge of Augusta National is 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 is, is not the uh, the getting to the green. It's yeah. where you get on. The green it's where you hit to on the green which reminds me too uh, of uh, we talked about mulligans earlier the, I, I i i did a uh, a uh, a video for golf digest that's on instagram and they were asking me these rapid fire questions and i was answering real quickly and they asked about titus fairways i mean titus yeah titus fairways and for some reason i was thinking tight lies and i said augusta yeah. national uh tight fairways would have been sahali in Seattle, where I honestly think, uh, because of their aversion to cutting down trees, they took hiking paths and planted grass in them and called them fairways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, but but yeah, the uh, the challenge at Augusta National clearly 
is putting the ball in the right place on the green yeah. relative to the pin position and then being able to get the ball to drop in the cup from that place yeah. in, in, in one to two putts. That, I, I, I three-putted and four-putted most of those greens. Brilliant. Wow. So Augusta National and then uh, uh, Cypress Point. Okay, uh, yeah. Which I think and will echo what others have said that I think are almost like the for the full the views the challenge of playing each hole the options that you have to play each hole in different ways the first 17 holes are just almost unsurpassed in golf yep. 18th hole a little anticlimactic I think but the 17 yeah, yeah. preceding holes just I, I could I could play there every day Brilliant. Uh, Pine Valley Hole yep. for hole, shot for shot. It's a golf course. Yeah. Uh, and you you standing on the tee box doesn't look like you have a lot of room off the tee, but you actually have more room than you think off the tee, and a lot less room than you think on your approach shot. It's definitely a second shot course. But it That's, is if you want a golf test. Yeah. Play Pine Valley, and then I, um, Fisher's Island. Uh, uh, yeah. which is off the coast of uh, Connecticut, but it's in New York. It's in Long Island Sound. I have to take a ferry to get there. Uh, I love Seth Rayner designs because yeah. I need those wide fairways, the open front <laughs> greens, and I need the bunkers to be as narrow as they can to give me more of an opportunity to miss them. And yeah. so I love, I love his designs. And uh, th that course in that setting on that quaint island yeah it's just a, a great day of golf and then the last is that i'd mention is marion and that's primarily for the traditions yeah if you're a aficionado of golf you know being at a course where bobby, bobby jones you know won one of the grand slams and one of their traditions is every year on his birthday they dress up in tuxedos go out with champagne and toast, give a toast to him. They have these red wicker baskets that yeah. are on the that are uh, that serve as flags. Uh, at, at the first hole, the first hole is right next to the veranda where the, the, for for dining, and you have uh, people sitting out watching you tee off, and you hear you hear all this conversation and noise of people eating, uh, and then as you address the ball. It all goes away. <laughs> Silence is deafening. It is, and you're nervous, <laughs> and you're. Um, and then finally, there that what I mentioned is on the 18th hole. Yep. I hit my drive within just a couple of feet of the plaque that commemorates where Ben Hogan hit yeah, his yeah. famous one iron. Yeah. And. So I'm standing in those in, in almost the exact same footprints of Ben Hogan and I'm hitting my approach shot to the 18th green to finish my round. Now, of course, I have no one iron. It would be a waste um, of, of, of clubs. <laughs> so I used a three hybrid. Goodbye. And uh, I, I, I landed, the ball hit just off the front corner and trickled down the short of the green. I chipped up to maybe, pitched up to maybe like, I don't know, five, six feet or something and made the putt for a part in my round there. But nice. just the, the, the traditions at Marion yeah, um, yeah. Are, are why it's in my top five.
Brilliant. Well, I don't think you can argue with any of them. I think, um, yeah, for, for me, uh, I've, I've said this a few times, the one course I really want to play more than Augusta is is Pine Valley, since I think Golf Digested uh, some drone footage of it, mm-hmm. I think two or three years ago. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's that's one course I want to get to. Um looks looks phenomenal but i mean a, an amazing achievement uh, and something that um hopefully many people here will be inspired to try and uh, do of some whether they'll be able to you know imitate what you've done will be a tough ask jimmy but certainly uh hopefully they can aspire to do something similar to that what, what what's next for you now I mean, you, you obviously mentioned writing um you're going to be writing a book about your experience yes, is that I, is that kind of the next the next year's task Yes, the, my, my challenge is to get that finished and published uh, before the anniversary of completing the, the quest. I'm working on it. I am also uh, playing over time. I don't have a set time frame for it. I'd like to play the top 100 in the world. I'd like to mm-hmm. play the second uh, 100 here in the, uh, in, in, in the U.S. And uh, there are some other guys that have uh, done quests that, are, that live here in the U.S. Um, that have done amazing quests. There's um, uh, Paul Radowski who has, is working on playing every course that's ever been on a top 100 list. Okay. <laughs> and, um, Bob McCoy, who's just a, uh, a few, he played the top 100 in the world and then came back and did it a second time in 100 days. Wow. On commercial flights. Oh, wow. And then, um, uh, so those two guys I, I've talked to and interacted with, and there's a third person, the, uh, a woman, uh, Sam, and her last name right now escapes me, but Sam, uh, her husband played the top 100, and, when, uh, and after he passed away, she wanted to do it, and so she played the top 100 uh, in the world, and there are some men's only clubs, and they made exceptions yeah, yeah. for her to be able to play there. Good honor. To do it. So the four of us are going to get together for a round of golf. I was going to say. We're going we're to see what, talk about what we can do to help uh, promote the game of golf as a recreational sport, to, to continue to try and draw more and more people into the game. That's great. And I assume you're going to play that at Terrell Park, are you? I, you know, I still go back with the, 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 the guy, his name is Dennis. Yeah. I still go back a couple of times a year to Terrell Good. Park and play with Dennis and reminisce. It's, as you should do. It's great, yeah. isn't it? That's why we have our local clubs, or local munis or local, local, local clubs. It's great you know, to have that base, to share those stories and then to use you know use that as our practice ground to then go and play these wonderful places it's so one it's more great. plug out one more plug out yeah I'll, please I'll, do I'll, I'll shamelessly make is i do have a blog that if you're interested in uh, learning about how i played each individual course and what the round was like and what it's like playing on that course you could find that at jimmy's top 100 golf course tour that's a lot jimmy okay. j-i-m-m-i-e uh, Jimmy's top 100 golf course tour.com. Perfect. And your Twitter handle is at top 100 golf nomad. That's correct. Is that right? Yeah. So if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about Jimmy, you can do it there. I'll put some links in the, in the podcast description below as well, Jimmy, so people can 
uh, find out where to find you and uh, yeah I mean I just f- for my side it's been lovely to spend some time with you chatting today or this morning for you hopefully the weather clears it clears up so you can get out this afternoon as you, you mentioned beforehand but it's been um, a real joy and as and when you start working through that world top 100 and you uh, have to venture over here to the UK because I'm sure there's going to be some courses over this way you must let me know It'd be lovely to come and join you for a few rounds and if I, I don't think my club will be on that World Top 100, but certainly there are clubs nearby that are. It'd be lovely to be with you and uh, spend a bit of time. And please do let me know when the book is coming out. We'll uh, more than happily do some more shameless plugging and some more chatting about that. Thank you very much, Ben. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. No worries. Thanks, Jimmy. All the best. So there you have it. Um, a real big thank you to Jimmy for taking the time and just sharing some of those really interesting um, sort of stories about how he managed to achieve his goal. And I think you'll agree, just such a, a great aspirational goal and certainly give me a lot of food for thought moving forward about you know, perhaps some of these courses that were unobtainable um, clearly are attainable if you, uh, with the right sort of communication skills and a bit of networking, uh, which I think is so easy for us to do in the golfing world. Um, everybody likes to help each other. So uh, really, really grateful for his time. Um, Just to reiterate a couple of the points Jimmy raised, if you want to reach out to him, you can do on Twitter. He is at top100golfnomad. And his website is jimmy's top100golfcoursetour.com. That's jimmy's, J-I-M-M-I-E-S, top100golfcoursetour.com. So go and find him, support him there. Um, Next week, um, the interview will be uh, with somebody called Jamie Donaldson. Uh, Jamie is someone that I've known for a couple of years now. He is not uh, the Ryder Cup hero. You'll hear about that. Um, But he is very prevalent in the game of golf and he's one of the uh, those at the forefront of Aimpoint. Um, so I get to chat a bit about him and uh, how I got to know him, but also what, what Aimpoint's all about and all the good stuff that he's doing. He was, he's a great guest. Um, had half an hour with him. He's going to become on uh, sort of a multiple appearances uh, over the years, I hope, with uh, with the Spybot podcast, Top Guys. So look out for that next week. Um, if you're listening to this over the Christmas period, hope you have a great Christmas and all the best for 2019. Uh, thanks ever so much for all your support so far. Again, you can subscribe um, to the podcast on iTunes, the Spike Bar podcast, and of course on SoundCloud. But for now, thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.